strong. Righto, Damo, when you make that weekly pilgrimage across Richmond into Yarra Park and you see the MCG, there's a few bronze statues, mate, just situated at the front. You've got Warney, Lee Matthews, but, mate, there should be another one, mate, and it should be Paddy Mills. After a stellar bronze medal performance in which we finally broke the hoodoo, the Boomers have won a medal in international competition, and I suggest, mate, the next... Bronze statue at the front of the MCG should be Paddy Mills. Welcome to you, Damo. What is a historic podcast for the Deakheads today? It is a historic podcast, Rob, because you've got me on talking about basketball. So uh, <laughs> strap in, boys, because it's going to be, boys and girls, it's going to be a fantastic episode here. Really going to test my knowledge of the game. But uh, yeah, no, nah, what a performance from Paddy. Just turned Mate, it on when, when his nation needed him. He really turned it on. Answered the call again, mate, and he was absolutely unbelievable. I can't remember seeing an Australian basketball performance quite like the one he pulled out against Slovenia in the bronze medal match and, and helped secure Australia get that bronze medal in what was a 107-93 to 93 win, but it was a bit closer than that score would suggest, I reckon, for, for most of the game. And well, I was a bit nervous, particularly when the, the fourth quarter rolled around and Slovenia got within three points. I thought, oh, geez. Yeah, you know, I think we're we're in a bit of trouble here, but but mate, he was just unbelievable. He was a man possessed, and basically almost almost scored half of Australia's points, which is unbelievable. Well, yeah, you see, in scoring forty two points, but like there was so much else going on as well. Like to me personally, mm. it didn't seem like he'd scored nearly half the points for the team. Like it was just a great all round performance. But then when you look back on it and you go, shit, like he actually scored 42 points. Like <laughs> he's just gone to town, hasn't he? Well, and, and that's exactly right. And you do make a good point. So he took, he did take 31 shots, which is a lot. Like that's a lot of shots for a game. Usually if you're a, a number one scoring option in, in the NBA, you'd probably be taking 20 to 25, 26 shots. So he did take a lot, but, Obviously, when you're playing as well as he did, that why why not keep you know, why not keep facilitating and, and keep scoring the ball? And but as you said, that it was wasn't just him. Of course, it was a bit of a collective effort and a collective effort on both ends of the floor as well. So there's a few things that I've written down when I was uh, anxiously watching the game that I wanted to talk about with you. So there's plenty of stuff to get into, mate. So I reckon we should just delve deep into it. I reckon. <laughs> Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> oh, not bad, uh, eh? Yeah, look. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So, so, obviously, when you play Slovenia, the, the main man that comes up is Luka Doncic. Now, I know, Damo, even with your limited basketball knowledge, you have some idea who Luka Doncic is, an NBA superstar who plays for the Dallas Mavericks. So, he was always going to be the focal point on defense for Australia and, and it's no disrespect to the other Slovenian players there but obviously with the focal point that is Luca, a lot of the defensive action from the boomers was going to be on him which makes sense doesn't it, it doesn't you don't have to be a rocket science to to know the, who the gun player is and you have to stop them so that can be universal across any sport can't it yeah like if you've got a gun player you, you've got to figure out a way to stop them and to Australia's credit they did defend him quite well and did clearly interrupt his ability to score points. I mm. mean, um, he did get 
quite frustrated. He didn't start off that great as well, which they highlighted in commentary that he actually wasn't looking as good as he had throughout the tournament. I think he was the leading point scorer by a mile throughout the competition, as he is their only sort of main outlet. So, yeah, I think that defensive effort from the Boomers to just build a game plan around stopping him mm. certainly did put them in good stead. But they did have to defend well still. Like you said, they did have other options, the Sylvanians, so, which is what we'll talk about a bit later on in a few of our other points. But, yeah, he did look like he was nearly going to turn it around at the start of the fourth quarter, as you said, mm. when he just started hitting threes for fun. But, um, thankfully, we did <laughs> um, manage to stop him. So I think with, with Doncic, I don't think you can actually stop him per se. I think that it's the old adage, you can't stop, you need to contain. And I think that's what they did well because he still got, almost got a triple-double in terms of his, his stat line. Like he got like 20, like 23 points and, and nine and seven or whatever it was. So he got pretty close. But what I did like from the Australian point of view was that they made their intentions known early with Doncic in terms of who was guarding him first and foremost. So you had... Dante Exum and Matisse Bible guarding him, which was really good from a matchup point of view because they're both long players in terms of their limbs and, and their ability to move laterally is really good. So from them being the first points of, of call on defense was really good. And then also when they uh, when the Slovenians would go into a pick and roll or, or whatever it might be to get a switch, they always basically wasn't really, I'd say a mild double team some of the times, but it was more of a, a hard show, I think they call it in basketball terminology, where the person who's coming and, and the pick and roll comes, you basically come out and show and give a token sort of defensive pressure before retreating back to your person. So I think they did that really well and limited his impact. But as you said, you can't really contain him for the full four quarters because he just keeps – he can shoot it from anywhere. And, and as he did with those last couple of deep threes in the, uh, in the fourth quarter, did show that – he, like, you just can't count him out for the, for the whole duration. And, and obviously, when we're talking about Matisse Fiebel as well, he was... In basketball, they talk about terms of an individual player's impact on plus minuses on, on, the, on the box score, which is effectively just sort of gives an indication when you were on the floor how well the team performed. And Fiebel was a staggering plus 30 when he was on the court, which is massive. So, again, highlights his defensive effort and and his enthusiasm to rebound, get the ball, and, and then obviously try and have that focus on Doncic as well. So it was a real credit to them, to both Exum and Thibel initially, and not to get into foul trouble too early because obviously the Fever game, you only got five fouls. So to do that was absolutely magic. But what was also interesting, Damo, I think, moving, which sort of segues beautifully into the next point, is Slovenia looked better at points when Doncic was off the court on offense, which is an interesting... Point, but it's not completely foreign. And I know your basketball knowledge probably doesn't extend to this point, but Patrick, there's this thing called the Patrick Ewing effect, which essentially is when the star player goes off the court or if the star player's not playing, that the team may play better as a team collectively because there's not that focal point they have to run everything through. And I thought that was evident with Slovenia when Doncic was off the court at points during the game. What did you yeah, think? I it's, it is a good point. And it gives the opportunity for, I guess, maybe the not-so-star players to play their role. There's a few more options on the court, isn't there? Instead of going yes. to him as your scoring option and then if he misses, hopefully get the rebound and maybe get it to someone else. Like, I mean, there were other people out there that scored for Slovenia, but obviously their first and foremost was to go to him and then if he's not going to score, he's going to get the assist. But little things like even when 
like Australia had scored and it happened a couple, probably two or three times where they tried to bring the ball back into play, which is normally a pretty easy thing. And they turned yes. the ball over and it was yes, because they were call. just trying to get it to him, yeah. get the ball in his hands. So I think that was obviously a bit of pressure, but at the same time that their game plan revolved so much around him that even a simple thing like that, when there was good defensive pressure on him, that they sort of looked a bit sloppy. So yeah, definitely agree with you there that that certainly was something for them that when he wasn't on the court, they were... Mm open with a few more different options to score rather than just going yeah. through him. Mate, and I love that point you, you raised because that is so true. It, happened, it did happen a couple of times where they go inbound the ball and then they lost it straight away because I think even Luca may have inbounded one himself. So, yeah, mate, it's, it, that's a great, it's a great point. Again, shows that focal point of, you know, if, they, if you keep going on something all the time, it takes away your creativity, I reckon, in terms of your offense, in terms of like your natural playmaking ability. So, and then, again, that probably extends into the Boomers were, were, were pretty smart in terms of their lineups, and they, they played a lot of small ball, more so than what they have, I think, for the rest of the tournament. So Nick Kay was basically their centre at, at various junctures throughout the game. And I thought that was, again, a genius move to try and combat Doncic because every time there'd be a pick and roll or they'll try and switch defenders on Doncic, you'd still have another capable defender there. It wasn't just... Jock Landau won out against Doncic for the whole game, which I thought was smart. Obviously, it compromised the ability to rebound. I think Slovenia got a couple of second-chance points that they might not have otherwise had if we had a, a long, tall lineup on, on the court. But again, I thought it was smart that they had some manoeuvrability with their positions and, and tried to upset Slovenia with some small attacking lineups. Yeah, it was a very counter-attacking style game wasn't it it was very fast and mm. and when there's the small especially australia's trying to get when they did get the ball with the smaller players on the on the court straight back down the other end and trying to score points fast which probably worked with those smaller players out there but it's certainly something that again i'm not an expert on but it looked like it was a, a good tactic at the time but obviously you have to mix it up every now and then and they did even start with some different players on the court like delavadova didn't start on the, on the court, which he'd been doing yeah. the, the entire yes. tournament. So they were obviously coming with a game plan of how they wanted to match up and, and rotate it around um, that. Absolutely. And obviously that all stems back, comes back from Brian Gorgian as well and, and, and his coaching or his coaching principles and philosophies for that game. Particularly, I thought he, I thought he was outstanding in some of his decision-making throughout the game. He had some smart timeouts, particularly... I think it was in the third quarter as well. So Slovenia was starting to get a bit of a push on. You know, starting to apply a bit of scoreboard pressure as well, getting a bit of rhythm on, on offense. And he called a smart timeout. And then what I really loved is he just basically ran this play to get Jock Landau in the post, down low against an undersized defender to get an easy two points. And I thought that was just indicative of how prepared he was for the game and how pre- prepared the Boomers were for the game. Because I think against America, we probably wouldn't have, we went away from that a little bit in terms of some high percentage plays. But Dumping the ball into Landau like that keeps the scoreboard ticking over. I get your rhythm back on offense and, and gets him involved. So I thought he was pretty smart with some of his on the fly adjustments as well. So I think it's when you, I think it's, yeah, I thought it was just a, a very good coaching display from, from the veteran. He did call it at some good times when we were under the pump and it was definitely going mm. against us and we just needed that pause of play in terms of how he set up the plays and stuff like that. That's something that I'm not, you know, super mm. aware of. But yeah, definitely you could tell that they were switched on the Aussies and they, they were prepared and they didn't let the game get away 
um, yes. from them, like they did with the US, where you know I'm not not sure if they could have had some tactical timeouts there to sort of slow the stem of it. But uh, against the Slovenians, they'll definitely. Now, I think we should probably go to the man at the moment and, and talk about Paddy Mills. I think we discussed him in the intro because it, it was it had, this game had Paddy Mills' fingerprints all over it. What I what I just admire about Mills is his ability to score off the dribble. So I've watched him for a while. I can't remember him being this good off the dribble, particularly into a jump shot. So what I mean by that is effectively when he gets the ball, he's not just catching and shooting it straight away. He's creative with the dribble and, and he's so dangerous that the defenders have to play up on him. So he, you know, he can get by them and get to the rim as well. So I don't think I've seen a more complete Patty Mills like this. And Obviously, there's probably a bit of a recency bias there as well, considering that, you know, I've watched him so much in the past couple of months. But I just so polished him, whatever he does. And and I just thought he was so effective with the ball, no matter what he was doing, that he was just unbelievable, which is, I think is also justification for his selection in the All-Star 5 for the Olympics as well. So one of the top five players amongst the positions there as well, don't I? Yeah, like I said, like he was, he was scoring threes, he was mm. scoring, you know, layups, and then also he's just pulling back and dropping twos from inside the yes. inside <laughs> as well. So I mean, he was offering every scoring opportunity, wasn't he? It was. It's not as if it yeah. was a bit like a, a a Goulding where he's just sort of your three man or one of the big guys yeah. that just gets in around the post and gets um, your easy buckets. He was scoring from everywhere, so he really was on, wasn't he? Oh, absolutely. And you're right as well, because he, he didn't mind a couple of those mid-range jump shots that they would ju- he would just create so much space and, and score them with ease, really. So it's just a... Uh, and it's good for him going to Brooklyn as well for the next couple of years to play with Durant and, and Harden and Irving. So I think he'll do quite well for, for Brooklyn, particularly when he comes off the bench for them, I'd say, and, and hopefully can run their, their bench unit when in games and, and go from there. So... The future's looking pretty good for Paddy for the next 12 to 24 months, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so we'll move on to, to Dante Exum. So Dante, I reckon, would have a, would probably suggest he had a bit of a frustrating NBA career. and He's been injured a lot, hasn't really got a fair crack at it, and he's got really good athleticism, and he's got a lot of potential that he probably just hasn't had the, the continuity in his game to be able to sort of display, particularly on the world stage. But... I reckon in this game against Slovenia, he showcased that. And I think it was a, an all-round game from Dante that I th- would suggest would get him signed back to an NBA club somewhere in, in the not-too-distant future. He, made, he shot the ball well. He was very good defensively. And his efforts were timely, particularly in the second half, to get us that bronze medal. Yeah, I think in a few of the earlier games, he was a little bit sloppy at times. He made some, you know, like silly errors throughout, but he was very, very good in, in the bronze medal yeah. match. Uh, you couldn't fault him on anything, really. Um, yeah, for sure. Listening to the coverage and, you know, doing a bit of research on him, he's obviously had a pretty tough time with injury. Um, yes. He hasn't really yeah. got a consistent run at it. So to get the opportunity to play you know, multiple games in a row and, and have a key role in, in the teams. Obviously, that hasn't done him any disservice. And, yeah, like I said, right. hopefully, hopefully it's enough to get him on the book somewhere. You'd think with a performance like that against some top-quality players, it'd be enough to get him um, oh, sure. a, a look in again in the NBA. He's clearly a good player, um, so it'd be a, a bit of a loss if he wasn't there. 
Yeah, I, I'd suggest I'd be pretty confident he'd find himself on a, on a roster somewhere. He's made six foot six, he's long, he's athletic. And he get, he's got a lot of dribble penetration as well, I think. If you can just sort out when, when he drives and you know, he has that intent to drive for the rim, it looks really good. So, mate, he was, he was outstanding, particularly in the second half. Mate, he was getting, getting the ball back for us. He was making timely shots. I just can't give him enough praise for his game, I reckon. He was, he was great second. I don't want to say second field, but a complimentary complimentary piece to what Mills was doing. So, And that also extends to Joe Ingles as well. Joe was really solid again. He was rebounding the ball a lot. I think he got about nine rebounds for the game, which is pretty good for a small forward against you know some some decent sized Slovenians there. So he was good, scored early again and, and late. I reckon he hit a couple of threes too, which I think really helped us. So like yeah, that that's Joe's game as well. Uh, Utah is obviously shooting three. So he was pretty good, I reckon, as well. I think he just imposed his experience in, yeah. in that last quarter. He just showed that he's he's been there, he's done that and just sort of complimented Patty there in that last quarter just to chill things out a little bit when the, the Slovenians were mm. running hot and we just needed yeah. a little bit of composure just to get some points on the, on the board and stop the run of them. So, yeah, congrats to him. He's been a stalwart of the, the Boomers mm. with Paddy for a long time now. So good to see him perform well and get, get a bronze. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's some trade rumours around Joe Ingles too. I've seen a few things about him going to the Lakers and a few different things as well. So it'd be interesting off-season with him coming up. But now... I've got some random forwards down that I wanted to throw this in here and I wanted to put it out there. When I was watching these Boomers games, I had a, a couple of different thoughts and obviously Ben Simmons has been, or Ben Simmons' absence has been notable and, and has drawn a lot of commentary in various media circles. But I couldn't help but think watching, watching this, the Boomers play, how much they could have used Ben Simmons as well. So Ben Simmons is... He's a 6'10 point guard, effectively. But he's also a pass-first point guard, which I reckon would have helped the Boomers a lot, particularly taking a bit of a bit of the weight off Paddy's shoulders, particularly when trying to run the offense or set it up, and, and particularly would allow Mills to, to get off the ball and you know, have a bit of a breather here and there, whilst you know, someone can still facilitate the offense. And I thought Simmons could have been that player, so... I'm not saying it's the difference between uh, bronze and silver or bronze and gold, but I would have liked to have seen that. And then I also think that Ingles could have then gone to the wing where he's more comfortable. He's more of that shooter, can spot up for threes like he does at Utah. And I think he could have been a bit more, could have been more effective in his role as well, not you know, taking all the juice out of him, trying to rebound the ball and then push the ball up the court. So I still think there could have been improvement with Simmons. I don't know whether I can say that or not. I think. The, the other question too, which is sort of our next point, is about the culture and how he would mm. fit that, that boomer's culture. And there has been a bit of talk around that perhaps maybe he doesn't fit fit that model perfectly that they're looking for in terms of that the boomer's culture. So who knows? Like obviously he's a good mm. player and he would have offered different outlets, but it is a team that's built a lot around that, that culture mm. and everyone putting in and, you know, everyone contributes their little bits. So uh, it's a good question, but we might find out in a three years' time how he fits into, yeah, that, true. into that setup. Well, so and that's a great point. And Matisse Thiebel is obviously a teammate of his, and I did see some comments that Matisse made about how he would get Ben to Paris, which would be, be, a, be a bonus for the Boomers, I can tell you what. And what I also like from Thiebel is that obviously Thiebel has spent most of his life in America and, and he's, you know, has an American accent. 
but the way he bought into the boomers, the Australian culture and embraced it, I thought was sensational. And I think he won a lot of fans and admirers from the Australian public for the way he applied himself and, and played for the green and gold jersey, which I thought Martha was outstanding. And there was videos of him throwing boomerangs at the American, uh, the American accommodation in the village. So like, I didn't mind that. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, he had the, the Akuba on as well and yeah, uh, <laughs> representing. So, yeah, I, it's, it, it will be interesting to see because with it only being three years away, will the likes of Ingalls and Mills still be around, you reckon? Or uh, it's, That's interesting. I reckon they probably will be. It depends on where that, how they play, though, mate, to be honest. Because obviously Mills's style of play for the Boomers, is lo- it's, a lot of it's run through him. So I don't know whether that would be sustainable. But for someone like Ingalls, if he sort of morphed into more of a shooter, so more of a, you know, a three-point marksman style, then he probably could get there. But like with basketball, you can play into the late 30s. And Dave Anderson used to play in late 30s for the Boomers as well. So it's, made, it's a possibility for sure. Yeah, because if you can hold on to those two for that one just some experience mm. like even if they're not playing yeah. like huge minutes but they're still in the squad like it would just be very beneficial but um we'll yeah but mate, it's, it's three years point. is a long time yeah for sure but it's a good point though because like we spoke about that culture and i think what you need for that sustained success is somebody to keep passing the baton for that culture and and still having people there within that nucleus that can help impart the culture onto the, the people that come in in three years time because the last thing is what you want is all these senior guys to go and there's no foundations there from that culture to carry it forward. So it'll be interesting, mate, to see what the dynamic is going forward and, and a few more, a bit more development into guys like Josh Giddy in the NBA. So it'll be interesting to see how that sort of transpires. But now, mate, I might give my uh, three, two, one, and you can give your three, two, one as well if, you, if you'd like. So I reckon three is... For the best on, like, there's no surprise, it's Paddy Mills. I don't think much else needs to be said there. He was a clinical in his performance. Two votes for me went to Dante Exum. I thought it was his best performance I've seen him play. Not at, any, at probably any level of basketball, I reckon. He was good defensively, got some nice timely buckets and, and was efficient and, and was uh, diligent in his task guarding Luka Doncic. And then one to Joe Ingles as well. Joe, again, scored the first couple of baskets grabbed nine rebounds, which is imperative, stopped the, uh, stop the second chance points and, and hit some, some threes at the back end of the game as well. And, and probably Jock Landau was probably stiff to miss that one. Yeah, I'd probably have Thibel in there for the, the one yeah. um, with, with, a, with yep. a plus 30. Like, it's pretty yeah. pretty hard to go past that. But, I mean, you know, you, you, you're naming five or six players there. So it was a clearly, clearly a good all-round yeah. team performance. Absolutely, mate. And I think we'll wrap up with... The moments that occurred after the, the game when the Boomers did win the bronze medal and, and the significance that that victory held for Australian basketball. And I think the best way to epitomise that would be to refer to Andrew Gaze's recap after the game and on Channel 7 and how emotional he got and how passionate he was in his I guess an editorial there or a summation of, of what that meant for Australian basketball and to see him cry after the game and, and recap how yeah, how much that that means to the people that have gone before him, I think I thought it was outstanding, mate. I, I confess I teared up too watching him. It was uh pretty emotional. Yeah. I mean, you probably couldn't get it from a better person. Him mm. and his family, like Lindsay's old man yep. pretty much 
built basketball in Australia and gave Shit. himself a four-time Olympian and has been involved so heavily in the game in Australia, playing primarily his career in Melbourne, having coached, still involved, I imagine, at some level in basketball in Australia. Yeah. So you probably couldn't have got a better person to sort of, yeah, like you say, make a summation of, of where it's come from um, and how much it meant meant to those players. And, and again, someone that was probably heavily involved in that building of that culture that still mm. runs through the stuff that Gazy would have been working on when he was a player and that culture that they had still, still reigns true. So I guess for a little bit of that to rub off from him on those players probably brings that, that emotion through. But for me, it's very similar to like when we finally got back into the world cup from the soccer point mm. of view, how yeah, much, okay. how much yeah. that meant for, for soccer in Australia and how much change it, it made, you know, like the amount yeah, of people started sure. participating, the, the domestic competition got back up and running like the, the NBL in Australia has gone from strength to strength since it's made a comeback. So hopefully that's just the, the boost that it needs. And obviously the women's team has been doing quite well as well mm. in recent history. So hopefully it just helps, you know, continue to promote basketball, which has probably been, hard done by by the COVID lockdowns, especially in Victoria. Like there hasn't been a lot of ball played over the last two years and in New South Wales at the moment, I imagine there wouldn't be any being played either. So hopefully once things return to normal, it's sort of a bit of a spark for the next generation to to get into it. Yeah, beautiful. And mate, that's a great comparison as well about the, the World Cup and, and making it back there and, and qualifying because now it, it just seems like an expectation that Australia will qualify for every World Cup. Whereas before the Aloisi goal, we were never sure things even get close. So I, and I agree, NBL, the rise of that, some, some good developmental pathways there. And, and I think the, particularly with NBL, you see the likes of Della Vadova coming back to Australia now instead of going to Europe. And so I think that gives an indication of the standard of basketball and how much it's growing, both in terms of popularity and the development as well. So, mate, it's exciting time for Australian basketball. And hopefully going into Paris, they can get themselves in the gold medal game. Easy. Well, that's pretty good, Damo. I think that's a nice little summary. Uh, for someone who doesn't claim to know much about basketball, I thought you, you, you finished off that quarter like Joe Ingles did in the bronze medal game with a couple of nice timely threes there. So well done to you, man. I know you probably felt like a fish out of water, but sensational effort. Yeah, look, I, I know a little bit about it, but yeah, I'm glad that I could put in. I, I didn't want you on here talking by yourself, so I'm glad that I could offer up some contribution to the conversation. No, you did outstanding, mate. I appreciate it. But that's probably all we have time for, I reckon. So until next time, in three years probably for the for the boomers, or maybe we might do it for when the World Cup opens back up. But thanks for thanks for tuning in and, and go Australia and congrats to the, the boomers, Paddy Mills and Ingles for giving us all a bit of joy in lockdown and, and basically inspiring this generation of basketball. So we'll see you then. 